and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you have sent me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. It's a change from earlier episodes as I've gone over at the beginning here um, because I just get too many comments now and I can't guarantee that if you leave me a question in them that I'm going to see it. But if you send it to me by email, I will. So askchrisshelton at gmail.com. Constantly amazes me how many people say they have a hard time reaching me when I literally put my email address at the beginning of every video. Anyway, um, Three Apostates are back this week. I hope you enjoy, or if you have not yet listened to, I hope you'll check out our podcast on phobia induction, fear-mongering, how fear is used as a tool of control and in uh, our former groups and in destructive cults in general. I thought that was a pretty fun podcast to do. We covered some pretty good territory, and I hope you guys will check it out. Uh, let's see. The other thing I wanted to say is if I have this Critical Clips channel, and I have to kind of keep plugging these things. I know for some of you, you've heard this over and over again, but for those who are new here or do not know about this, there is another YouTube channel that I have, and it is just clips of... Um, my longer videos. So if you are, it's a great resource for people who are looking for answers to very specific questions. I've sort of excerpted, you know, questions out of my Q&A videos, uh, statements people have made in my interviews with them, and I put them up as little clips. So they're like, you know, five, six, seven minute videos. They're really short. And that, that whole channel is there to uh, answer questions and, and address specific topics. So I post uh, Monday through Friday on that channel. So I hope that you will give that a subscribe and, um, and check out the stuff that comes in on there. I have been literally chronologically going through all of my videos from the very beginning to make these clips. And I only just got into the very beginning of 2016. That's where I'm at on, on the clips right now. I got, I got probably, you know, over a thousand clips that are going to come out of all of that content as I go forward and eventually marry them up with what I'm doing. But it's going to take a while. There's going to be a lot of content on there. So I hope you'll check that out. And now, uh, the other thing I wanted to say is, let's see, we're rolling into February now. This month has gone by so quickly. 2020 is just racing by. And um, so I wish, you know, that I could get this stuff done faster than I, uh, than I can. Um, but there is some really good stuff in the pipeline, and um, I think you guys are going to like what's coming. So now, let's get on with your questions. Paul Clark. Firstly, thank you for all you do. I've never been, and I never will, even contemplate joining the Church of Scientology. Not now or in any of my previous or future lives. Your approach to dealing with exposing the Church of Scientology for what it really is, is somewhat different to others like the Angry Gay Pope and more recently Reckless Ben's hilarious send-up where he infiltrated the Church, obtained auditing, and actually managed to join the Sea Org. Do you feel that this slapstick approach and direct action is counterproductive and lends credence to the Church of Scientology's claims of harassment, etc., or does it have a role in the whole expose of the Church? To be honest, I found you via the angry gay pope. Okay, well, thanks, Paul, for this question. Um, I have addressed my issues with the angry gay pope and how he goes about doing things in past videos, and my views on that haven't particularly changed. I'm not trying to, you know, start a problem or beef or anything like that. People have different approaches to how they're going to deal with 
themselves and their own feelings and attitudes about destructive cults and how they're going to deal with the people in the cult itself in various ways, that various goals they have as to what they're trying to accomplish. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not down with what the angry gay pope does. I don't think going and standing in front of cult members and ridiculing them to their face and antagonizing them is constructive. I just don't. And uh, I think all that does is double, get them to double down on their beliefs and reinforce what they believe. And in the end, it just makes the job harder of getting them out. That's my view on that. But I say that you know, making this sort of like blanket judgment when in fact that approach could very well wake a person up or could plant seeds, that sort of thing. So, you know, it's not for me to tell other people what they can and can't do as far as how they protest Scientology, right? Uh, but she asked my opinion and that is my opinion. So that's that. Now, on Reckless Ben, on the other hand, I think we have something that was incredibly constructive and useful because Ben and Mike, the two guys who put these six videos together, um, you know, went and infiltrated Scientology, actually recorded what was going on inside the buildings. Angry Gay Pope is never going to get inside a Church of Scientology and get on service lines or show you what actually happens to a person who walks into a Church of Scientology. And what Reckless Ben did is they went in with these spy glasses and they recorded what a Dianetic session looks like, what a purification rundown looks like, what the sauna is, what, the, what they're telling you, what the salespeople, the regs, trying to get money. I mean, they literally set them up and Scientology fell for it time and time again where for example, they went to the Reg with money that they claimed they had stolen, right? Ben says, well, I, I, I ripped off my friend's PS4 and sold it, and I got this money, and I can give it to you if you want for a book. And she's like, oh my God, right? You could just see her head just like, what do I do with this, right? And she eventually makes the completely wrong call of, well, it's up to you. You want to give me your money? It's up to you, right? She kept saying that as though that was letting her off the hook when she knew she was doing something wrong. Uh, but the pressure to get money, even 15 bucks, is so intense for these guys that they are willing to just throw their moral compass out the window. Um, I mean, the way to happiness specifically says, do not steal. And here's a guy standing there saying, I'm going to give you stolen money for a Scientology service. And she's like, yep, good, let's do it. You know? I mean, that really tells you just how seriously they take their materials. And more importantly, it shows you behind the scenes how much pressure is being put on them. That You don't get to see that because that's not in the public eye. Ben and Mike were never going to see a private meeting of the execs and the kind of, you know, face ripping that goes on in those meetings. It's intense. It is not a joke. People are traumatized by just by these meetings and quota settings and the product officer demand. That's what they call it in Scientology is product officering. You know, when you're like, ah, let's get these products out. Let's go, let's go, right? And you did, they didn't really happen to capture any of that on camera, but had they done so, you would have seen a, you know, the really dark side. Anyway, they showed a lot of amazing stuff, and I was very, very impressed with what they did because they, you know, Ben and Mike are very smart guys. They look like slackers. They look like they're messing around, but they, they saw through 
every step. And they did this, um, those videos they put together, actually, as a content creator, I can tell you, there was a lot more work behind the scenes than it might appear. Uh, you know, when they printed out a 524-page graph to show that how big Scientology was, uh, how tiny it was compared to the other religions. And then they went and took it to a football field, and they took a drone, and they showed you this incredibly long, huge graph to show how tiny Scientology was. You know, little clever things like that and the setups that they did. They were, they were, quite, they were quite good. Um, okay, so... What those six videos also do, by the way, is show you um, the inside of Scientology. See, this is the difference between what they did versus what AGP does, is they actually inform you and educate you on what is going on behind those closed doors or behind those, those walls that they won't let us get into anymore, and they sure as hell will not let any TV media or reporters in there with cameras to do any of this stuff. They won't. They don't show you any of what actually goes on in a church. They just make a little movie. They make these little stupid fictional movies, and they get Scientologists to go on and on in a bad rate about how you know wonderful it all is, and they present that as though that's an accurate reflection of reality. What Ben and Mike did is the real reality. Um, and it, anyway, it was really something. And just some, some tidbits of knowledge for you guys who have seen the Reckless Ben videos. And if you haven't, you really should. Um, uh, you know, when they did some of, the, some of the videos, I mean, I know a lot of the people in those videos. The woman who audited Ben on the Dianetics session is OT. When he told her about Xenu and she just kind of looked at him like blank face, stone face, like I don't know what you're talking about, she knew exactly what he was talking about. And she lied to his face about it. Of course, because she truly believes in her delusion that if she were to, you know, somehow confirm this, that somehow he could end up dead. I mean, that's how, like, crazy she is. And this lady who tells Ben, gives him this copy of The Way to Happiness and says, I love you, has disconnected from her own daughter, right? She's got a grown daughter with grandchildren, and she will not talk to them. So... You know, she loves this guy who walks in off the street and gets a free session, but her own daughter is cast adrift, right? That's pretty fucked up, uh, to be blunt. Then I wanted to share this with you guys because this was interesting, to say the least. For me, uh, it was, these videos were a little bit more than a lockdown memory lane for me. I was kind of tripping a bit because... The, the last video, the number six video, is where Ben gets recruited into the Sea York. And the guy who does it is named Mac McCloskey. And that's the guy I worked for. I worked under him for a year when I did the year of Sea York recruitment. When I was running around, you know, the West U.S. doing recruitment stuff for a year. He's the guy who was running me. He's actually a really nice guy. But the thing that freaked me out... <laughs> watching him talk all this conspiracy theory to Ben about the Sea Org and about how things really were on the planet and how there's these guys who run everything, that could have been me. Everything Mac was saying is stuff I said when I was in. That literally could have been me. And then he talks to this other guy, Joe Riley, this other guy who's going on about how the survival rundown is going to kick his ass and stuff. I knew Joe. For years I knew that guy. He was in security. Then he went to Bridge, and now he's, I guess, doing some sales or something at LA Org. I don't know what he's doing these days. But, 
You know, he's he, the crazy talk that he was going on a ramble and ramble and on and on about past lives and you know this is my purpose and in, in you know across eternity and stuff and and Mac and his conspiracy theories and you know joining the Sea Org, getting into the good fight. I, I, that's where my head was at, you know, and it was just a little disturbing <laughs> to see that because I've changed so much over all these years and it, and I just haven't had an opportunity for such a direct comparison. You know, when AGP goes to a place, everybody goes stone face, right? And out comes security and out comes OSA and that's all you see. And that's fine. That's, you know, that's the church defending itself also, right? Um, but it's, you know, I'm not defending the church when I say that. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're putting up the stone walls. They don't want AGP getting inside. They don't want him creating an effect on their membership. And I, of course they don't, right? Anybody would, would, would want that. If, if, if you showed up anywhere with cameras and just started filming and antagonizing people, they're going to give you the cold shoulder. It's not just Scientology that does that. And that's, again, one of the things I don't like about what, that approach. But what, um, what Ben and Mike did is they got inside and these people acted normally like they usually do. So the salespeople, the auditors, the ethics officer, the examiner, right, the recruiters, all of these people are guard down. They think this is a, a friendly, sympathetic ear and you heard what Scientologists really sound like. Scientology staff, Sea Org members, and I just thought it was priceless. So that was kind of my whole take on that and a little contribution from my experience as well that I thought you guys might like. Uh, but like I said, check out the videos because they are quite good. And, um, and again, I want to, you know, I might just be whistling in the wind if I say this or something, but I seriously am not trying to create beef. I'm not trying to create issues between me and other Scientology critics, ever. I, that's not my goal, that's not my game, that's not what I'm about. So um, everybody's free to do what they want, you know? And nobody who's out there doing this work should really care too much about what I think, <laughs> you know? I'm just another guy. I'm doing what I'm doing because I think it's the most effective thing to do. But you know, I couldn't do what Ben and Mike did Right? It's not my thing. It's not my game. It's not what I do. I mean, I could potentially get into a Church of Scientology somewhere, I guess. But, you know, it's just not my approach, right? So we're all going to do this from different ways. And um, and that's kind of how I wanted to wrap up that, that answer. So there you go. Joanne Rastater. Have you heard of Focus on the Family? I heard a small amount of information on this, and I don't know if you've ever heard of the saying, sometimes a little information can be more harmful than none. So I'd like to get more information on this. I'm wondering if it is a destructive cult. Okay, Joanne, thanks for the question. And Focus on the Family is actually located headquarters here in Colorado Springs, down the road from me, I'm here in Denver. And I, of course, didn't go down there or anything like that, but I just thought I'd note that they're, they're right here. The mission statement, according to their website, is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with as many people as possible by nurturing and defending the God-ordained institution of the family and promoting biblical truths worldwide. Okay, a lot of little code words in there, but the bottom line is that they are an evangelical fundamentalist group, um, rather extremist in belief as far as I can tell, and... Um, they work on public policy issues from a conservative 
viewpoint. Now, I looked them up on Wikipedia also, just as a general sense of, of information. And um, I can further give you information about what Focus on the Family is about. Because, you know, that mission statement's nice, but unless you're used to evangelical speak, you don't really know, you don't really get just how extreme these guys are. Focus on the Family promotes creationism, abstinence-only sex education, adoption only by heterosexuals, school prayer, and traditional gender roles. It opposes premarital sex, pornography, drugs, gambling, divorce, and abortion. It lobbies against LGBT rights, including LGBT adoption, LGBT parenting, and same-sex marriage. Focus on the Family has been criticized by psychiatrists, psychologists, and social scientists for misrepresenting their research in order to bolster its religious ideology and political agenda. The core promotional activities of the organization include a daily radio broadcast by its president, Jim Daly, and his colleagues, providing free resources in line with the group's views, and publishing magazines, videos, and audio recordings. Uh, okay, and there's a lot more here. It was started by this guy, James Dobson, who is... Uh, if you have seen my podcast with Clint Haycock, and if you haven't, I highly recommend you look at them, because we did about five of them, and they, are, they cover this territory quite, in quite a bit of detail. Not focus on the family specifically, but we've done the family, the political unit, right, which was put together by Doug Coe, and James Dobson, the guy who started Focus on the Family, is very, very similar to Doug Coe, just didn't get into Washington, D.C., and infiltrate that to the same level, but he has infiltrated political circles, and he is a political figure. Uh, not, not to say he's a politician, I mean he's in the political world, and he is known, and he has influence, and he has power, and people listen to him. So... Uh, this group's been around since the 70s. Um, this is, you know, these, these guys are very similar to the family or other heavy extremist evangelical groups who have extremist positions. And by that, I mean, when I, when I talk about extremism here, I'm talking about exclusionary persecution-type views where LGBT don't get any rights because of being LGBT. In fact, they have rights taken away from them. They do not get to adopt. They don't get to get married. They don't get to be parents. Like, these are people who want to make life difficult for anybody who isn't them. And to that degree, they are destructive. But I'm not going to go so far as to say that this is a destructive cult because I would need to do a lot more research before I could say that. But I will say right off the top of my head, that I know the type of people that this group represents and, and what they are trying to do, and it is destructive to human rights. They are very, very tunnel vision on their way or the highway. There is no other way to view the world or look at the world or live your life except the way they say. And when you get that kind of black and white thinking, right, then it is only one small step to using violence to enforce those means. That's where that headspace goes 100% of the time. So, I mean, you just gotta look at history. Okay, this isn't, my, this isn't again, it's not like opinions of mine. These, this is what extremism is all about. This is a totalist group. They have very specific dogma, and if, if you don't agree with it, you're wrong. 
uh, because God said, and that's how it is. That's, that's the mindset of these people. So I have a real low tolerance and patience for that sort of thing. You know, I'm really big on like tolerance of belief. But man, when you, you know, when people start getting like dictatorial about stuff like that and totalist in their belief system, you know, I just go, well, that's nice, but stay away from me, you know, <laughs> stay away from my family. Uh, these people are absolutely in a position where they are sure that they know best what's best for you, not just them, for you. And, um, you know, and like I said, to that degree, they're pretty culty. All the way over to the full checklist, like Scientology or the JWs or something, like I said, not going to quite go there yet, but I see more potential there for that than I do not. It would not surprise me at all if this group was getting up to some really shady stuff behind the scenes. They always are. That's what's so weird about these groups is they put on this veneer of morality and, you know, being God-fearing Christians. But then you look behind the scenes and you see just nasty stuff going on. So are they engaged in nasty stuff? I, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not laying the fickle finger of accusation at them and saying it must be that way. I'm just saying that every other group I've looked at that gets into this kind of authoritarian mindset is usually involved in shady stuff. So, you know, uh, but anyway, that's my take on that. Um, I do not support folks on the family in any way. I think that they are, uh, I, I do not support any of their beliefs. I think they are wrong. I think they have been uh, in terms of their ability to contribute to society, the things they're pushing are destructive. Abstinence-only sex education is wrong. It statistically results in more pregnancies and more abortions. If you want to end abortion, then stop pushing that, right? Teach children how to use birth control. It's not hard. We know the results of this. Statistically speaking, we know that that is going to result in less abortions and less birth control. So if, if that's what you really want, do that. And I bring that up as an example of the kind of thing I'm talking about where they won't even consider that because what they're about is not really reducing abortions. What they're about is controlling people. So, you know, like I said, not a great group. Not one that I would ever endorse or win my support to, and there you go. Sue T. A few weeks ago, Tony Ortega started featuring a daily quote from the Free Zone, or Independent Scientologists, on his underground bunker site. Do you know where these quotes come from? Where the Free Zoners hang out? Wouldn't they be less likely to talk freely online if they knew that people are reacting to their remarks with joking and degrading? Also, I know that non-free zoners are not allowed to discuss the details of their bridge progress with other Scientologists. Do you feel there is any benefit to these open discussions that Indies are able to have? Finally, do you have any idea of how many free zoners are out there? Okay, free zone Scientology, independent Scientology. Woo! <laughs> My favorite topic. Um, I actually looked up some of the quotes. I just, I just reverse searched um, some of the quotes that Tony posted and looked for where they were coming from. And they were coming from Facebook groups, from independent Scientologists, uh, a couple of them. I just checked a couple of the quotes. I didn't check all of them. There might be other message boards or forums or chat rooms or something, but it appears Tony is going to publicly available resources, not private groups or hidden groups, 
to get these quotes and post them. So you could look them up and find them yourselves and join these groups, right? These are like the Free Scientology Group, I think was the name of one of them or something. And I went through and these are Scientology, you know, people who were Scientologists who still believe that L. Ron Hubbard was spot on in his discoveries, quote unquote, um, and that he's the bee's knees and the tech is wonderful and, you know, they just want to use it to help themselves and help other people. A valiant effort, but very, very misguided. L. Ron Hubbard's quote-unquote technology is just a bunch of pseudoscientific crap. Um, you know, but like I've mentioned before, people who come out of Scientology, you know, it's a totalist belief system. It's not a black and white, snap your fingers and it all goes away overnight kind of thing. Not for everybody. Some people, you know, people who only had a light smattering of exposure to it, fine. But, you know, when you've had hundreds of hours of Dianetics on Scientology auditing and have read tens of books and listened to hundreds or thousands of lectures, you're pretty in. You're pretty deeply in. And it's going to take a while to extract your, your brain from all that crap. And if you don't really have any desire to or you're not motivated to because you think this stuff is so wonderful... Well, and that's where you're. That's where you stay, and that's where these indies are at. And they are. There are not lots of them. These Facebook groups have hundreds of members, not even thousands. I mean, I've got more people subscribed to me on YouTube and more people following me on my Facebook page than all than all these pages combined, probably. <laughs> you know, at least from the ones I looked at. I mean, we're talking about 200, you know, people in them or something. 250 folks. And not all of them, by the way. I mean, some of them were my friends who were just there for info purposes. They're not, I'm not, you know, like up close and personal with uh, a lot of indies because they tend to hate me because I, I rag on them and their, their so-called beliefs, right? So um, anyway, so that's, you know, we don't, we don't get along so well. Um, but that's where those quotes come from. Okay, so then... Um, you ask, wouldn't they be less likely to talk freeline if they knew that they were being J and D'd? Um, maybe. I don't know. You know, I don't know that too many of them actually keep up on Tony Ortega. And, and the comment section on Tony's <laughs> blog is a little interesting, to say the least. So, you know, whatever. Just, fly, you know, just opinions flying around here, there, and everywhere. Most of them hilarious, by the way. They're, I, I, I don't say this as, a, as, a, as a, uh, a stab at them or something. I'm not trying to put them down. It's just, it's, it's pretty wild. It's a little bit of the wild, wild west. And if you go through those comments, you'll see what I'm talking about. They're all over the place. And do I think that there's any benefit to these open discussions that innies are able to have? I mean, I, I, yeah, maybe. I, I don't get involved myself in them. I, I, uh, I don't give any credence to Hubbard or his tech. And I'm not compelled, I don't feel compelled to go argue with these people about it. I've already done that, been down those rabbit holes, failed miserably, flailed around, learned my, you know, from my mistakes and learn to just kind of chill and let people do what they're going to do because what it's none of my business anyway, you know, at the end of the day as to what these guys want to do. My business comes in when it is abusive and when it is authoritarian and when it is a control system and when it is deceptive. And, you know, these guys can avail themselves of all the facts about Scientology and usually have looked at a lot of that stuff. They look at my videos, they look at other stuff, and they reject it. Okay, well, I, you know, I got nothing else to say to you. If you think that, you know, you're onto something amazing, have fun. Good luck with that. You know, that's, that's kind of my attitude about it at this point. 
Um, so maybe through talking to each other, they'll talk each other out of it or something, but they're, you know, uh, I, I don't know. Like I said, it's such a tiny number of them, too, that I really just don't even, I mean, it's a statistically irrelevant figure uh, in, in almost any diagram you care to make. Even compared to Scientology, the independents are just, they're just tiny. I mean, we're talking about a couple hundred people. That's it. So, anyway, that's what I know about all that, and uh, I hope that helps. Karanta. I watched the video you did with Katrina Reyes, a former Scientologist who immigrated to the U.S. from Russia while in Scientology. She said Scientology kept up her immigration visa right through her getting her green card. Since this takes many years, with lawyers' time and fees, as well as government fees, this can cost upwards of $10,000. I know a free order's debt is only supposed to be for services delivered, but do you think that Scientology might pass along the visa costs as part of the free order's debt if people leave like Katrina did? Or do they just write it off as a business expense? I'm curious to know what you think about this. Okay, well, I actually contacted Katrina about this, and she did not have to pay a dime for the entire process, but she informed me, and of course this makes complete sense to me, that the church's own OSA people are the ones who filled out all the forms, did all the documentation for her visa. They didn't have to hire immigration lawyers for that, or if they did, they have probably have one on retainer or something. They, they just use for all the general cases if they need a lawyer signature or something. But it's OSA who's going to be doing all the man work on that. And that labor is free uh, for Scientology, right? It's just Sea Org members, and they've got a billion years and nothing else to do. So filling out government forms and visa immigration forms and all that is, you know, they might as well be doing that as much as anything else that they're working on. So, and of course, over the years, they've probably greased this line quite well. So they know exactly what kind of questions they're going to be asked and what kind of answers they have to give to satisfy the bureaucracy so that they get what they want. Um, you know, this is just what Scientology does. And they've been working on immigrants from other countries um, for a very long time. I mean, this was something that we were nailing down back in the 90s at, at uh, the uh, ASHO at the, in the big blue buildings when they were pulling up people from Mexico and they were going down and doing recruitment tours down there and bringing back, you know, 10 people at a shot, right? Um, okay, so anyway, yeah, so that's kind of how that goes. So Katrina, that no, uh, none of that is going to be passed on in the free order's debt. The free order's debt is specifically and only for services. And that's actually the, you could actually, you know, that, that's, that's the written agreement. I was going to say you could go after them legally, but you really wouldn't because the, the, the church isn't going to go after you for your free order's debt. Why would you go after them for it? doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But no one I've ever heard of has had anything other than services, like courses that they did or auditing hours that they received charged on the free order's debt. That's the agreement you make when you sign the contract. So... There wouldn't be additional expenses or additional things added to that for any real reason. Mia, I've watched a good amount of your videos and I've been pondering asking this because it can be a sensitive topic. Personally, I am pro-choice. In some of your videos, you've discussed that forced abortions have been a part of your personal history, and I'm sorry you had to experience that, and are still occurring in the Sea Org. In this country, there is a talk and are attempts at trying to outlaw abortion completely. Scientology appears to have a few localized jurisdictions in their grasp, 
But do you think the church would ever get involved at a national level to keep abortion legal? In the places where abortion has been functionally outlawed, what do Scientologists do in those instances? Well, I'm not aware of Scientologists anywhere or Sea Org members anywhere being in jurisdictions where abortion has been, you know, uh, what do you say, functionally outlawed. That, that, you know, that's just not a thing. So, um, you know, the Sea Org bases are Clearwater, Florida, and in Florida you can still get abortions. In California, in California you can definitely still get abortions. Um, England, uh, you know, I'm not sure. As far as I know, it's open. Copenhagen, I'm sure you can get abortions there in Australia. In Sydney is where their base is there, and I'm pretty sure abortion is still legal in Australia. So that's not a problem Scientology has had, and I don't think it's going to have. But um, but that all being said, um, it's a good question. It's really got me thinking, actually, because I'm really I'm not sure Scientology has a vested interest in abortion being legal. They definitely use it at the Sea Org level, but they don't talk about it. They don't admit to it. They don't want people to know this. So they could never, in any public way, pay, say, a lobbying group to fight for abortion rights for the Church of Scientology because they work in interfaith circles with other churches to try to form religious coalitions and gain more power than they actually have through association. So they're working with these guys on a anti-abortion stance, as far as I know, or at least that would be their public face. And that would, that would totally agree with what L. Ron Hubbard wrote in Dianetics, the Modern Science of Mental Health, where he said attempted abortions are ubiquitous and deadly, and they are just horrible for your mental health, and you, know, you should not ever engage in anything uh, related to abortion. Uh, you know, of course, Hubbard did, uh, but we'll, we'll sort of move his hypocrisy to the side for a moment here. The official church stance is that abortion, I, be I believe their official stance is abortion's bad. So, again, you know, would they support, a, you know, pro-choice measures? Not if it was going to in any way endanger their PR, their public relations imagery, right? Uh, <laughs> Kind of a funny thing to say about Scientology, given how toxic their image already is, but they look at it differently, and I'm trying to look at it from their point of view, not the practical, real point of view, right? The world at large, you know, doesn't really care what Scientology has to say about abortion one way or the other, but as far as Scientologists go, and as far as L. Ron Hubbard's materials go, they should be anti-abortion, and all of their public pushes um, should follow that lead. If that were to somehow, in a future situation, result in Sea Org members being in zones where abortion is illegal, then they would simply solve that by flying the person to an area where they could get an abortion, even if that meant flying them to another country. They would do that. They would do that to salvage a Sea Org member and to keep them in the fold because they are so desperate for people. And let's face it, they do have the money to do it if they needed to. They actually could make that happen. So, I think that would be their ultimate solution to the problem that you're presenting. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, all Scientologists and all Sea Org members, and mostly, almost everything I've been talking about here has been Sea Org level. Public Scientologists do whatever the hell they want, and as far as abortion goes. And unless they're excessively getting, like, 
you know, using abortion as a method of birth control or something, they're probably not going to be talked to about the church about it unless that somehow, you know, there's an emotional component and they're bring, and it's coming up in their sessions and it's about this big deal. Then they'll be talked to about it. But generally speaking, I don't think the church would necessarily come down on that person super, super hard as a public Scientologist if it, say, came up once or twice. Um, staff, same kind of thing. They're basically, when it comes to how they get their auditing in their classes, they're basically the same as public. Sea Org is where you're at the level where it's total control 24-7. So there, Sea Org members don't have a choice. If they are going to stay in the Sea Org, they're going to have to get an abortion if they get pregnant. And there's just no other way around it. So that's, that's kind of why it becomes such a problem for the Sea Org versus the, the, the staff or the public Scientologists. So I hope that informs a little bit on that topic. And that's just really my, you know, sort of subjective maunderings about it. But I, I, I think that's where they're at. It's time for Flash Answers. Bill, son of Tom. When they make a movie about your RPF book, which actors do you want portraying Chris Shelton and David Miscavige? Well, look, I got no idea who plays me, uh, and this is probably going to be a few years from now because at the rate I'm getting to this damn book, uh, on top of my other projects, but, uh, you know, I, uh, anyway, uh, no more excuses on that. As far as uh, actors go, I, I don't have anything on me. I got, I got nothing to say on that, but... Um, but you know who I think might actually do a surprisingly good job playing Miscavige? Might be Matt Damon. I think he'd be interesting in that role. He's, you know, he's a little too tall for it, but I think, uh, I, I, I'd like to see him try that. Jim Gattel. If Danny Masterson stood on a street corner and shot people, would the L.A. County D.A. do anything? Apparently not. And, um... I'm just going to say that it is very frustrating, very frustrating when somebody like Jackie Lacey, the current district attorney for L.A. County, is afraid of Scientology and is so either petrified or bought off by them that a celebrity in her jurisdiction gets a free pass to rape and or, and or sexually assault uh, four or five women. That is beyond the pale to me. And yet that is exactly what's going on right now and has been for the last couple of years. If you guys don't know, look up Danny Masterson, look up Jackie Lacey and see what's up. That's happening right now. That travesty of injustice is what's going on. And Jackie Lacey is a coward. And I, I really, really, really hope she gets booted out of office and replaced by somebody who will step up and demand and enforce that those women get their day in court. I cannot sit here and say with certainty one way or the other that Danny Masterson is guilty. What I can say is that those women deserve their day in court to provide the evidence that they have to tell their stories and to hear, have a jury hear them and make some decisions based on that and all the evidence. And the fact that that is being denied to them is disgusting and gross and a lot of other words. And there you go. Tyra Simmons. I've noticed that big urban cities have higher rates of homelessness. I live near Seattle, and homelessness is at an all-time high. Does this have anything to do with the fact that urban areas are more socially liberal than rural areas? 
No, I really don't think that it does, uh, although there are no shortage of people who will blame homelessness on liberal policies. Liberal policies are a reaction to homelessness, not a cause of it, um, at least in, in what I've seen directly, right? You want to, you you know, show some law in some district somewhere, you know, that this directly affected people and kicked them out of their homes or kicked them out of their jobs or something, fine. Um, my point with homelessness in urban areas is that homeless people go to urban areas because that's where the resources are. And that's where more people are who can help them. And that's where homeless shelters are. And that's where, you know, they can go to government centers. They tend to be in the urban areas, not out in the rural districts. You know, you wander around out in the rural areas and you're mostly just wandering around trying to find somebody to help you out. In the city, you know, you've got concentrated people and therefore concentrated resources and therefore homeless people are going to tend to go to those areas. And that's why there's a lot of them there. As far as the growing homeless population, I, I can't speak one way or the other to that. I don't know if homelessness is actually growing or not. On a national level or on a local level, I'd have to do more research into that. Um, but that's, that's my answer, so I, I hope that informs. Okay, everybody, we have wrapped up another show this week. I hope that these answers, uh, as I've said a couple times here, are educational, informative, and entertaining. Um, thanks for coming around and watching. If you've not subscribed to my channel, please do so. If you're not being notified of videos as they're coming, hit that little bell icon. I guess that's important in order to get notifications that videos are being posted. And, of course, as I mentioned at the beginning, please consider uh, subscribing to my Critical Clips channel because that also is a source of wondrous and amazing and awesome information for you. All right, guys. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.